This episode is sponsored by Kangaroo Jack Fitness, personal training that goes above and beyond to get the best results for you. game time uh we're doing a whole premier league episode with all of the january transfer nonsense summed up as well and with danny how you doing yeah not too uh, bad, i'm definitely not bitter um we'll get to that in a little bit um <laughs> we've had all the midweek premier league games uh over the last few days um a lot of stuff to talk about as well as some uh, results abroad as well um we'll kick it off because you normally host you don't get a chance to talk about man united how enjoyable was it seeing your team come back from 2-0 down against, well, Burnley? Enjoyable wouldn't be the first word that I would use. <laughs> Relieved would probably be the first one. <laughs> because to see us go down 2-0 at home to Burnley, especially with the fact that Wood added the second with, what, less than 10 minutes to go, I thought, oh, no, this is where we get the reality check. But fair play to those players. They just kept on plugging away and... And I don't like constantly saying it, but it feels like a proper old school Manchester United result. 2-0 down and then two goals in the last few minutes with Victor Lindelof slamming it home deep into injury time. That's a proper Fergie result. Well, a proper well. Fergie result was like not Victor Lindelof, your centre-back that like hasn't played for ages, scoring in the 92nd <laughs> minute. It's normally been Rooney or Ronaldo. But I mean, fair credit, Pogba putting the penalty away and Lindelof scoring in literally the 92nd minute. Um you must have been really worried, though, when you went 2-0 down. Yeah, especially because of the way that it... Burnley played really well, especially in the first half. They limited United to, to very little. And United had a lot of the ball, but just couldn't really break Burnley down. And, and you think, watching it, I thought, you know what? It will be a case of once United get the first goal, it'll be OK. Burnley will come out of their shells a little bit. But Burnley got the first goal, and then I thought, oh no, they can carry on doing what they're doing. And and when they added the second, I thought, oh God, we're not going to find a way past them. Tom Heaton, former Manchester United goalkeepers seem to be very, very good. Uh, we'll get on to Ben Foster a little bit later as well, but he had such a good game. And there was like, there was a chance for Lukaku in the second half uh, where he just, he sort of wrapped his foot around it and a defender got a deflection on it and he flicked it past the post. And I thought, it's just not going to be our day. And then granted, it was a, quite a soft penalty, um, Jesse Lingard going down after someone put his hand across his shoulder. But I think Pogba, he's been a completely different player under Solskjaer, put it away. And then from then on, United looked like they were going to grab a second. And, and it came through Victor Lindelof, the unlikely. Yeah, source. we said Burnley played really well. They only had 25% possession. United had 11 corners, 28 shots total, nine on target. Um, obviously, he didn't keep most of those out until the last sort of 10 minutes. Um, like, how did you not manage to score at the start? Like, is it, I mean, we saw it under Mourinho, not that I'm relating the two sides at all, but we saw it where like United had to go down to come and provide a result. Why did you struggle to break them down from the outset? Honestly, Tom Heaton was so <laughs> good. There, there were a few chances where on another day they go in, but def- credit to Burnley, they defended well, they limited United's chances and 
Tom Heaton just made so many saves. He did that before. He tends to have a history of playing really well at Old Trafford. Uh, was during the season where Zlatan was with us in his first season and it ended nil-nil. And he saved everything. It was like a bicycle kick that I think ended up injuring his wrist and he ended up getting injured for a few games. But literally just seems to have a blinder when he plays at Old Trafford, probably saying to people further up, you shouldn't have sold me. You should have given me a chance. But yeah, just just a case of Burnley defended very well for 86 minutes, got unfortunate with a soft penalty that Sean Dyche wasn't happy about. And then even at the end, flipping... Alexis Sanchez's downward header I thought was going in and bloody Tom Heaton saved it anyway. And then Lindelof smashed it and he still got a foot to it and it went in the top corner. I was thinking, if that hadn't gone in, you just know some days it's not your day. But credit to United for the fight back, a proper old school one. And Burnley will feel hard done by because especially where they're sitting in the table at the bottom as well, they could have really done with the three points. That would have uh, kicked them up a little bit more. But yeah, relieved to say Yeah, all credit to David De Heaton. Um I mean, the, the goalkeeping <laughs> scenario at Burnley has been really interesting, though, because they've had, obviously, Tom Heaton now. They then had Nick Pope, who came in as, like, sort of third-choice keeper and then got a run of games because he was doing really well. And they signed Joe Hart when he got injured. Um, now Heaton's back. I think there's someone else there as well that's just escaping my mind. Like, they seem to have gone through more, like, keepers than outfield players at this rate. <laughs> it, yeah, it's an odd one at Burnley because they got super unfortunate, Um Tom Heaton's always been their first choice and then he got injured. So Nick Pope had to come in and then Nick Pope had an absolute blinder and got into the team of the season because Heaton was out long-term and you thought, oh, Nick, Nick Pope's probably going to be the long-term keeper now for, for Burnley. But Heaton came back and was fine. And then they signed Joe Hart, who started the first 19 games of this season and then hasn't started a game since Heaton's been back. So I guess Tom Heaton is their first choice goalkeeper. And Joe Hart's been signed as a backup. But, I mean, if he plays like that every week, he probably will start. <laughs> Until he gets injured. Um, and then yeah, they have exactly. to play, I don't know, Chris Wood in goal. Um, <laughs> now, I'm going to ask you a question. If the results keep going United's way uh, and they do really well, they get top four at the end of the season, do you keep Solskjaer? Right now? Uh, oh, God. This is why I'd make a terrible lawyer because I'm unable in, to split my emotion from cold, hard facts. Uh, if he gets us into the top four this season, I would give Ole Gunnar Solskjaer the job. Why not? The, the player's clearly responding well to him. He seems to be doing a bang-up job, especially with Mike Phelan as well in, in the dugout. They seem to be doing a, a really good job. So, yeah, if they continue playing this style of attractive football, then, then why not give it to him? The other half of me says, if United have a plan and that plan is to just let Solskjaer take over for now and they have been hard grafting behind the scenes to find the ideal manager, then maybe they should go with that. But my emotion says give it Solskjaer if if we get into the top four by the end of the season, which is not looking too far away now. We're only two points behind Arsenal and Chelsea. Um, Arsenal obviously in the top four, but purely by goal difference. So... Yeah, give it Shawshar at the end of the season. Why I not? mean, if there's a possibility of getting to Dan, though. I honestly, if you asking me right now at this moment, I would love to see Ollie take it full time, just because of the way that we're playing. It's so fun to watch. And is that because we had to watch Mourinho absolutely strangle a United team? 
Probably, yes. But Ollie's done fantastic. And let, let's see come the end of the season because this could be the sort of honeymoon period where everything's just clicking and everything's good. But who knows, maybe one or two months down the line when the Champions League comes around, starting to get deeper into the FA Cup, players get injured, it might not be all fairy tales. But yeah, I would, I'd love to see Ollie take I mean, just on a reaction, do you think it's a reactionary thing that the players are just now enjoying themselves? Um, but it might maybe not be like Solskjaer's tactics that are doing the job. It's just because the group of players he's got is fantastic and they are enjoying themselves. But he might not be the best fit long term because if he went for like next season and he had to adjust the team, get his own signings in, um, he might not either be experienced enough or he might not be the player, you know, the manager United wants to actually come and do that. Yeah, yeah, that's a, a really valid point, to be fair. And it's interesting the, you mentioned the signings because he's been quite coy on on what he wants to do in terms of signings. I think at the beginning of the January transfer window, when people said, oh, are you going to be bringing people in? He said, oh, that's up to the management because I'm not going to be here long term. He seems to have done something. Maran Fellaini looks like he's off to China. I don't think their uh, transfer market closes for another month. So there's time on that one. But that kind of could be seen as... Solskjaer going, I know exactly what I want this team to look like. Even if I'm not here past the summer, as good as Marouane Fellaini has been for Manchester United, because he never grumbled or complained about playing in different positions. Granted, we did give him a shit ton of money, so probably doesn't need to complain. But he's always been up for a fight wherever. Um, so him going out is probably saying or seeing that Oli is having an effect on that squad and saying, this is how we should be playing football. We don't need a player like Fellaini. Let's see what happens at the end of the season. I don't want to speak too soon, to be honest, because it could all come <laughs> crashing down. Love that you're on first name paces with the Man United manager. Um, <laughs> now, from one team that made an impressive comeback to another, uh, Tottenham came back 2-1 against Watford uh, with only about 10 minutes to go. Watford looking like they were going to be the first uh, team outside of the top six to do the double over top six teams. Uh, since about 2015-16 season. Um, they were 1-0 up until the 80th minute when Son, on his comeback from the Asian Games, equalised. And then Lorente, having missed a sitter from about two yards away, uh, managed to scramble in the back of the net and they uh, picked up the three points. How important of a win is this for Tottenham, staying in the top four? Oh, I think it's a massive win just to stabilise them a little bit. In turn, they're still in the top four and they're seven points ahead of, of the likes of Arsenal and Chelsea. But they'd lost three of their last four before this game. And with Harry Kane still out injured, I think they needed a result here because Watford had a good go at them. Um, and that win now only puts them two points behind City as well, which is mental to think because we saw it as a two-horse race. And I did say Tottenham could have been in that race for the title it does it doesn't look like anyone's going to catch Liverpool now but there's still a long season to go but yeah I think emotionally for that squad a very very important victory because four out of your if they'd have lost that especially at home four out of their last five people would have been thinking well Poch you still haven't signed anyone in the January transfer window you're letting players go what's happening so a very important victory and nice to see Llorente scoring a goal as well because sometimes he gets a little bit of stick but nice to see that he well he got his scrappy header the other day uh, and he's now scored the winner for them uh, this week it's huge but of course they've got the, the Champions League ties coming up against Dortmund which it doesn't look like Kane's going to be fit for either of them um, and Ali might be back for the second leg but they've just got to worry about that as well 
Oh, definitely. The the Champions League has always been something for for Tottenham that I think their fans have got slightly annoyed over. I, I remember um, well, me and Ryan lived together and Tom lived together at university. And I remember at university when, when we used to watch Champions League ties and, and Ryan would get quite annoyed at the fact that Poch seemed to always rotate squads. I think there was a Champions League group game and he, he didn't take like half the squad. And I think for a lot of Tottenham fans that I've that I've spoken to, they've always been quite annoyed that Poch seems to have a weird sort of idea on the Champions League. That's changed in recent years because I think they just got very unlucky against Juventus. I think they have to go for it. And and even even if Kane isn't there for the first leg, just get something for the second leg because you know even a 50% fit Harry Kane can be a danger to anyone. No, that's a fair point. Um, of course, the news coming out that They've let Nkudu leave for Monaco on loan. Um, so despite them missing two key players, they're letting you know other squad players, players leave, which doesn't seem like the best idea. But um, Leicester are looking to sign Yuri Tielemans. And I've seen a lot of Spurs fans on Twitter getting really angry that Tottenham weren't in the race for him. Because, like, you know, he's a good player. He showed what he could do at the World Cup. And he sort of fills in that like sort of centre mid spot that Ali's maybe missing in. And he can come up with goals as well. Like and might not totally be too expensive. Like, what's going on there, do you know? Don't know, to be honest. I think it's interesting with Tottenham because Daniel Levy has been a brilliant businessman. Say what you will about their transfer dealings or lack of transfer dealings in recent years. The fact that he's managed to attract some very good players to that club and keep the wage budget down. I think I saw a stat the other day, and I might be slightly off base in remembering the figures, but it was something like you could quadruple the current wage bill at Tottenham and it still wouldn't equal Manchester City's wage bill. So it's, it's really impressive that they've managed to get a club challenging for top four and title with keeping a very sensible wage budget and bringing in really good players. I mean, look at the sort of players they've brought in over the years. I mean, Rafa van der Vaart was incredible. I know that's going back a bit, but they brought him in for like £8 million and he was stunning for them. They've had Luka Modric... Harry Kane obviously come through the youth ranks. Christian Eriksen for like 12 million as well. I was, no, was going to say like the thing with Spurs is they seem to sort of, they sign these players, but what makes them, you know, perform and what gives them a great sort of turnover is the fact that they develop these players and whether they sell them on or they end up like, like being their key player like Harry Kane or Deli Alley, like it's, it's them bringing them in and then just developing them into like world-class players, which is their key. Um, whether it's like City seems to, I mean, Pep does do it. Like he, you know, he brought Sane and Sterling up to be fantastic players um, under this City side. But like a lot of Premier League teams now would just sort of buy like these huge players and try and bring them in to have an immediate effect. But I think Spurs fans are more tolerant in that they realise um, that players under them, especially youth players, I look at Harry Winks now, sort of like a year and a half ago, he was just an academy player that was sort of getting a few minutes when they needed to replace like a midfielder in a FA Cup match. But he's now coming to like being their starting Premier League centre midfielder. Like it's Spurs' ability to bring these players up. And I think I said like the fans are tolerant with it, um, which is why, you know, they probably get away with not signing the players like other clubs are doing. Because um, like, I don't know, Arsenal have got a lot of stick for uh, not splashing out the cash they have signed uh, Dennis Suarez on loan for Barcelona but you think they've been doing well and they're not signing anyone huge this window 
um, which is confusing. But yeah, Spurs seem to get away with it a bit. I think Poch is so key to that as well. You saw it at Southampton. He was so good at getting not only young players into the first team, but getting them playing well. And he's done that again at, at Tottenham. I mean, granted, Harry Kane came through the youth ranks, yeah. But I think most of the England youth coaches said he wasn't really on the radar. We didn't really think too much of him. And now he's England's best player and captain. Uh, Deli Ali coming through, not the ranks of Tottenham. He came through, I think it was, was it MK Dons he played for? Yeah. Um, so it's incredible that he, especially signing Deli Ali for like, what, £5 million? And he was instantly in the first team and playing like at a Premier League level, despite playing two or three leagues below. So it, it is potch all over. And, and quickly going back to the Yuri Tielemans thing, a very good player. Um, he's, he's a really decent player. And, and I think maybe could have been better than he is now. And elect, he was really tipped to be one of the next best players. And then I'm not really sure it worked out for him too much at Monaco, hence why they're, they're okay with him going out on loan. I don't think, Tottenham maybe need that sort of player because he does like to play centre midfield slash number 10 and they've probably got that enough in the likes of Ericsson and Ali and and they probably need more like a defensive minded midfielder with Dembele off as well but hey you never know it's Leicester will have got themselves a very good player if he is going there but again it's interesting to see Tottenham letting people go Vincent Janssen might be leaving as well um Spoiler, we are recording this on transfer deadline day as well, despite the listeners hearing this on a Friday. So we won't have known anything past 11 o'clock. But as it's looking at the moment, Vincent Janssen looks like he's going to go out on loan, which is a really odd one, bearing in mind they only have one fit strike. Yeah, you'd think they'd want another backup now that Kane's out for several months. One thing, though, that credit to Watford, Ben Foster has now made the most saves in the Premier League with 1,008, which is is really good. He's He's over taken pet check at the top of that one so we'll see how it looks at the end of the season but I, he seems to always play very decent I think Ryan mentioned it on a pod before he seems to have very good games against Tottenham and most saves in Premier League shows that he has pretty good games against everyone and according to Ryan most minutes wasted as well <laughs> um, now you mentioned Man City we finally get to talk about them on the podcast as opposed to them just like winning a 4-0 every week because they actually lost and to Newcastle of all teams just is the Aguero scored the, the fastest goal in the Premier League this season, um, and they had constant pressure. They had seventy six percent possession, but like they lost. It's just I'm just a bit shook to be honest. A massively surprised result, and I don't think anyone could see it coming because you mentioned Sergio Aguero getting off the mark within a minute, and most Newcastle fans probably would have thought, "Oh, great, it's happening again." But Credit to them. They they stuck in there. They defended well for the rest of the game. And and City were just lacking that sort of ruthlessness that they normally have. Couldn't find a second goal. And, and Rondon and Richie punished them in the end. Oh, Rondon, man of the match. He was absolutely outstanding. Like, you see these performances. I think you saw, we saw them at West Brom a few years ago. Like, when he is playing at his best, which he did, you know, in this match against arguably the best team in the league, second in the Premier League, blah, blah, blah. Like, he is so good. He holds the ball up. He's strong. He can win headers. He's quick. His link-up play is great. And he can finish. And, like, you see him play like that and you just think, like, how can he not do that constantly when he can do it against Manchester City? 
Um, so he was absolutely crucial for Newcastle. And then, of course, Matt Ritchie finishing the penalty in the 18th minute as well to give them the win. Former Bournemouth, Matt Ritchie. Tom will enjoy that. I got that in there. There's always a way, <laughs> always a way to get Bournemouth in. But yeah, fair play, fair play to Newcastle because they've probably had the best, especially Newcastle fans, have probably had the best 24 hours of their life beating the reigning champions after coming from behind and finally, finally breaking their transfer record. It only, it only took them, what, 15 years when they signed Michael Owen for £16 million. But they've signed Miguel Almiron from Atalanta United for a record £21 million. So enjoy it, Newcastle fans. The, the next few hours and maybe the weekend are going to be the greatest for some time. <laughs> I do think I saw a stat on Twitter earlier. I think, uh, I think Gary Lineker like, sort of quote tweeted it saying that it brings Newcastle's net spend this season to £1 million. Um, which is just selling but you know they've actually signed a player and hopefully it's the type like just even one signing can improve their team it might help keep them out of the uh, out of relegation Um, oh definitely and he's uh, in terms of the transfer as well Almiron scored 13 goals and 11 assists from mainly sort of a number 10 cam position for Atlanta United and I know that's the MLS and it's a different standard but a creative player and one that can finish as well. Something Newcastle will absolutely love. Yeah, huge for them. Um, we won't talk a huge amount about Man City, just sort of enjoy it while it lasts, everyone. Um, <laughs> now, Liverpool lead leaders drawing uh, to Leicester. A great fight back from Leicester to um, scrap a draw out of that one. Liverpool look quite comfortable at the top of the table, um, especially with City dropping those points as well now. Um you do think it's a sort of one-horse race now, to be honest? Yeah, I, I think if Liverpool will, Liverpool will be more annoyed. A, a home game against Leicester, who have been very patchy in form, and not being able to put them away after going 1-0 up with City dropping points. Jurgen Klopp will probably look at that as a missed chance to go even further clear of City. But yeah, they, they're still top of that table. Um, I think they're clear by five points now. So... It's still there's still plenty of games to go. Don't get me wrong, there's still plenty of games to go, and and we might see some other candidates come into not the title race, but definitely playing an impact on the title race because you can drop points like Manchester City showed against anyone in this league. But yeah, I, I, I don't make me say it, Tim. <laughs> don't make I don't me want say to. It, it's going. <laughs> don't make me say that it's going to Liverpool, but. It, it looks like that's the way it's heading with 14 games oh, to go. Please. Just, I just need them to get beaten by like a Southampton and a Burnley all in the same like two weeks. Um, <laughs> just a, a note on Leicester. Like, I mean, obviously they're Premier League champions and it still sounds weird saying that like two years on. But um, they can beat anyone on their day. And like, they sort of showed today they got a draw against the league leaders who have looked pretty much unstoppable all season. Like they beat Chelsea, they beat Man City earlier on. Like if they're playing well and with Jamie Vardy on his day, like they can, you know, they could they could have a huge impact on the title race if not sort of top four places because they can literally do the job against anyone. Yeah, and, and to be fair, like they they are eleventh, so they're not like sort of languishing down at the bottom end of the table and and they are a dangerous team on their day the issue I think with Leicester is that yes Jamie Vardy on his day is is a very good striker has the quality been there to give him the ball since Mares left probably not 
And I think that's what they've really lacked because their season, their title winning season was was unbelievable. But Mares and Vardy were very consistent throughout. And I think that's what's really sort of not helping Leicester. The consistency isn't there as much this season. But yeah, like you said, on their day, they can cause anyone problems. And, and Harry Maguire loves popping up with a goal. We saw that at the World Cup. England aimed literally every single set piece and corner to him. So uh, he, he popped up with a goal from a, a, quite a neat finish, to be fair, ghosting in at the back post. And a special mention to Kasper Schmeichel as well, who made a couple of really good saves from um, Roberto Firmino to keep, that, to keep that level. But Leicester will take the point and Liverpool will probably be annoyed that two points dropped. Yeah, I mean, Leicester, they've got quite a promising squad though because a lot of them are quite young. Like they've got Madison, um, like Ndidi and Damari Gray. Like, you know, they, they're sort of, for the next few years, you could see them really stepping up and potentially like challenging top six. It just hasn't quite come together for them this season. And I don't know if Mahrez will be enjoying himself because he's sort of been sat out uh, at Man City for quite a long time now. Um, I mean, I'm sure he won't be regretting it considering the wages he's on over there. But uh... <laughs> Yeah, probably not too no. upset. Now, uh, you can tell I've been avoiding it because I'm bringing it up last. Uh, Bournemouth <laughs> got a, a good win uh, against Chelsea, 4-0. Um, I just, I don't even know where to start, to be honest. Um, so yeah. I'm going to start, I'll tell you what I'm going to start with. Credit to Bournemouth because they played really well. Um, Josh King with two goals, David Brooks and Charlie Daniels with others. Like they, you know, they put on a great showing, and we know that they're good going forward. So full credit to them. But Chelsea's defense was shit. I, I imagine you've probably got quite a lot to say about that. So why don't you get that off your chest <sighs> first, and then I'll ch- I'll channel my inner Tom Coley to talk about Bournemouth. <laughs> it's it's difficult because I mean, don't get I was fuming when I was watching it, absolutely fuming. And considering none of the goals came in the first half, despite us not playing great, we had. A huge amount of possession, but did absolutely nothing with it. Um, like I, and I was quite excited by the the starting eleven. There was no Hudson Doyle. I'll get onto that in a second. But Emerson was starting over Alonso, which I was incredibly pleased with, um, and Higuain as well coming in, linking up with Hazard, which we sort of saw in the first half coming through a little bit, and like it was quite promising. But after the second half, it just went to shit, and. The def- like they just walked through us. Like there is an issue, I think, because David Luiz got hit in the head by a rocket uh, of a ball um, early in the first half, and there was an issue as whether he should have gone off uh, if it affected his play because he did have a, quite a few errors. So I'm not going to completely put the blame on him, but that's something that does need to be addressed. Um, is that maybe he should have gone off and been replaced? But yeah, like, our defense was a shambles. Like, and it wasn't just like. You know, Alonso wasn't playing um, or some had a bad game. The entire team had a bad game. And, like, honestly, I think it's down to the players more than Sarri. We've had, like, the loss to Arsenal uh, earlier in the season. Everyone was saying, like, oh, Sarri got it wrong. And then he came out and said that the players are difficult to motivate. And it just sort of looked like he, you know, was really struggling. But this, I think this result sort of shows that the players just were not up for it at all. Like, Hazard was piss poor in the second half and like from someone who you know most people deem to be the best player in the Premier League it was he was just not he couldn't be found at all um, and it's partly because the rest of the team couldn't get the ball to him but 
you know, he didn't help either. Higuain went off maybe due to a lack of match fitness. He did look quite good, but it's, it's not his fault, this result. But, like, you know, he didn't have a good, the impact everyone wanted him to. And then West Harry definitely, definitely got it wrong. And he is 100% to blame for. Um, it's the, his in-game management. And it's, without doubt, his biggest flaw uh, at Chelsea. It's, he can sort of impose the style of play that he wants. Um, you know, he can work with the players on training, improve them, improve the system, get them to know the system better. And that's all well and good. And you can, you can you know, the players can be at fault for that. But in-game, if you're bringing on William to be as poor as he was uh, for Pedro and... Um, not bringing Ruben Loftus cheek on until the 76th minute when he should have rightfully been starting, but if not, should have come on 25 minutes earlier uh, due to fitness. Like, it's, it's shocking decisions from Mitsuri in game. He didn't adjust the formation at all when it clearly wasn't working. Because um, we've, ta- I mean, we've talked about this before, like, the way he plays with his 4 3 3 system, you need Jorginho at the base of that midfield to play as a Regista role. And then Kante on the right side of midfield as a box to box midfielder. Uh, and then whoever it is playing on the left as the attacking player. That's fine. That works. That's how Sarri plays. But there's no reason in game why he should not change that. Because like that's the reason he was signed. We knew what he, we were getting. We wanted that style of play. If it's not working in a match, which it wasn't uh, against Bournemouth, it needs to be changed because we had so much possession, did absolutely fuck all with it. And it was it was poor. And it was, you know, it's a bad um a bad performance from absolutely everyone in uh, within the Chelsea club today. And it was just, you know, it was shocking. Great Premier League debut for Gonzalo Higuain to come in. Um but I mean, as much as we can we I mean, there's a lot to talk about in terms of Chelsea stuff. Callum Hudson Adoy not even in the mm. squad after a very important and very impressive performance against Sheffield Wednesday in the FA Cup. But absolute mad respect to Bournemouth. Because Chelsea, to be fair, dominated that first half. And I was speaking to Tom yesterday about it. And he said he's never seen two halves of football that were that different. Chelsea dominated the first half. Arthur Burrich made one of the best saves I've seen in a while from uh, Kovacic. He was going the wrong way and he just flicked it onto the bar. I thought it was absolutely terrific. But... Credit to Eddie Howe and the Bournemouth squad because whatever he said to them at halftime clearly worked because they came out of the blocks firing. Josh King basically scored straight after the restart. And from there, it never really looked like there was going to be any other result than a Bournemouth win. And they just bloody went on a rampage, didn't they? David Brooks, who I'm going to be honest, I don't remember what episode it was in, but it was near the beginning of the season. I tipped for young player of the season. (laughs) So, for purely selfish reasons, Danny, I'm going to say David Brooks had an absolutely great game. Scored and grabbed an assist for the first time in the Premier League as well. He's been a really decent little player for them. And Charlie Daniels scoring in the 95th minute from a header just to sort of cap off a very miserable day for Chelsea. But fair play to Bournemouth. I think Tom mentioned Sermon was absolutely brilliant in midfield, just making sure that Chelsea couldn't get their things together, just keeping those players in his back pocket, so to speak. And and Bournemouth put their chances away. And, and that's all you've got to do, especially against a very shaky Chelsea defence, as you mentioned. Josh King was clearly on it, scored twice. His first goal was a really nice finish as well. Just sort of cuts across the ball and just side foots it past a, a diving Kepo who's going the wrong way. And and from there, it was, it was a, a very impressive victory for the Cherries, who, you know what, needed something like that because they'd, after that terrible run after the international break before Christmas where they played, what, the top five and just got absolutely slaughtered, 
they needed a big result and, and this one was it. And do you want to hear something really weird as well? No. <laughs> I, okay, I won't tell no, you. go on. Both of Bournemouth's victories on a Wednesday night have come against Chelsea in the Premier League. Yeah. No, they were just really good against us. And that's why I wanted to, you know, mention it first, you know, they do deserve a lot of credit. But I think they were just helped by how poor how poor Chelsea were. And it's such it's it's such a piss take because just as when everyone gets excited about the Chelsea team and like Higuain coming in, it's just we lose four nil. Um and it, you know, that we're now fifth. Uh points difference to Arsenal means that um also a goal difference to Arsenal means that we're now uh, below them in the table. Like this next game against Huddersfield at the weekend is so telling because or will be so telling because if we don't win by a, like a considerable margin, like three goals, because we haven't scored a uh, three goals in a Premier League match since the beginning of November, and um, which for you know a side nice. that should be challenging for the title is pathetic. Um, yeah, we know. Just we we need to win by a big margin to actually show that the players have got something and will fight. But like, they've been caused now to just replace the entire team that played at Bournemouth and play it with youth because that's what like is thought to be. You know, what's best for the club now? Because and like genuinely serious because the youth players. So like, I'll mention Carlo Antidoy. He apparently he wasn't in the squad because of, like it was punishment for handing the transfer request in, and I think a lot of that blame goes to Maurizio Sarri, even though he played on the Wednesday, the day after he actually handed it in in the FA Cup um, or the Carabao Cup, whichever one it was. Um, apparently, he was getting left out for that. But if he wasn't 18, if he was 25, he'd have walked into that starting 11 over Pedro and William. Like, walked in because he's downright a better player than they are. And whether it's just the thing that either he doesn't, sorry, doesn't think or the club doesn't think he's got a good enough mentality yet or... Um, like they'd rather pay respect to the sort of older players who have served the club better. It's just wrong. Mm. Like he is a better player than they are. And to not be playing him in this game where he, like Pedro had acres of space in that first half and did nothing with it. He had some shots on target, but they were left footed shots and they were very weak at Boric, which, you know, he saved comfortably. Hudson Doyle runs at defenders. He challenges them. And to be honest, if you've got Hudson Doyle running you as quick as he is, as a left back, you're terrified. He can go either way, put great crosses in, you know, to Higuain, who got no service. And he, just, he should have absolutely been starting this match. And he wasn't even in the squad. Because all he wanted to do was play football for Chelsea. Like, he's been at the club since he was eight. All he wants to do is play minutes for Chelsea. Like, there's no youth player that comes up through a, a club system for 12, 13 years and doesn't want to play for that club. He wants to play. And mm. punishing him for that, for, you know, wanting to play minutes which must have been a really difficult decision for him, you know, to actually hand in transfer request to go and play, whether it was a ploy to, you know, get more minutes at Chelsea or not. Like, he wants to play football and to punish him for that is just ridiculous. So he will be in the squad for Huddersfield, I'm sure of it. If he's not, then something is deeply wrong. And I don't know what it is. I don't know if it'll be Sarri. I don't know if it's the club. It won't be the club. I'm sure it won't be the club. But he just, he needs to be starting, let alone being in the squad. But there's a huge case for just all youth in general. Like, I said Ruben lost a cheek. He's just getting back from injury. He should have played, like, he should have come on earlier or started. He's a goal-scoring threat. And Paduniti playing because he's got the mentality of a 30-year-old, but the ability of someone in his prime. Um, and, you know, as young as he is, all the talent in the world. Um, and then we've got loads of youth pro- like players like Reese James on loan at uh, championship clubs that can come in and play. And 
you know, we're still playing 31-year-old wingers in Pedro and Williams. So there's something deeply wrong and it needs to be sorted soon. Right, I'm done. Do you know, do you, do you know what's not deeply wrong? Lots of things. Charlie Bloody Daniels scoring a 95th minute header. Get him. I don't know why. I've always really liked Charlie Daniels. I think it's because he absolutely twatted one in against Manchester City. Or it's the fact that at some point on FIFA, I had a Charlie Daniels inform left back card and it was one of my favourite <laughs> players of all game. But what a bloody good flick header it was as well. And if you get a chance, Watch Jonathan Pierce's mental commentary that makes literally no sense whatsoever. <laughs> I mean, it's not as if it was a winner or it changed the game. Uh, like, <laughs> we were go- before then, we were going to score four goals in the next four minutes, but uh, Charlie Daniels has put it out of our reach. Charlie Daniels, what a lad. Final match we're going to talk about uh, in this episode, Fulham coming from 2-0 down to win 4-2 against Brighton. It's the Ranieri effect. Fulham are going all the way to the title. Get lost, Liverpool. It's going to Craven Cottage. Dilly ding, dilly dong. <laughs> ah, fair play. <laughs> fair play to Fulham. Because, I mean, Glenn Murray put Brighton 2-0 up. And you'd have thought, especially with how heartbreaking Fulham's loss was to Spurs the other day at home, you'd have thought, oh, no, it's happening again. We're going we're gonna to lose at home. But full credit to them. Much like Eddie Howe and, and Bournemouth. Sorry, I'll stop mentioning that. Um, they, they clearly came out in the second half. Ranieri said something to them. Four goals in the second half. Callum Chambers with a really good finish as well. Like a volley from the edge of the area. And then big Mitrovic uh, getting on the end of two. And then the weirdest assist you'll see by Ryan Barbel. And yes, I'm going to mention Ryan Barbel because he's Dutch. Uh, he like <laughs> he shanked the ball straight to Luciano Vieto. He just tapped it in. But Full credit to Fulham, and that's a, a massive, massive victory. If, if any team needed a win, it was going to be Fulham because that now only puts them still six points away from, from safety. But you'd imagine and that that comp and bankruptcy, yeah. But you'd imagine that confidence is going to give them a whole load of hope for the rest of the season. What about you? What do you I think? mean? It's Fulham, so they could literally go out and lose 4-0 uh, at the weekend. I don't know. They've got uh, Crystal Palace uh, away this weekend, so they could literally go out and just get smashed around by Zaha and end up losing. Um, but, like, it's just, it's a huge result for them. And, like, I genuinely think it is Ranieri uh, and the fact that Ryan Babel has just walked into this team. He's um, <laughs> literally just came and signed, started immediately. But um, no, and like it's a huge result for them, and you know it's what the Premier League's all about. It's just these sort of results um, against you know a Brighton team with Glenn Murray scoring two in seventeen minutes. You'd expect uh, them to go on and win it, but no, it's just it's a great result for them and a really exciting match. Right after the break, we will be covering all of the tra- or all of the biggest transfers in January, uh, plus a couple of talking points we've got. Uh, join us then. Kangaroo Jack Fitness. <laughs> Do it. Welcome back. Uh, Europe's top five leagues have currently, as we're recording this, spent £538 million this transfer window, which is a bloody lot, uh, and still not enough to bail out Fulham when they get relegated. Um, that's 416 <laughs> deals as well at the time of recording this, uh, the biggest of which being Christian Pulisic on basically the first day of the transfer window opening for £58 million quid. Um, you mentioned Miguel Almiron for 21 million quid to uh, Newcastle. Some of the other big ones that have happened across Europe. That's it! He's got the chance! He's done it! He's done it! He's done it! It's all over! 
If you're an MMA fan, be sure to check out the new Switchkick podcast. We preview upcoming events, discuss the big UFC and Bellator news, and John from Philadelphia drops in to give us a few betting tips. To listen, search for Switchkick MMA on SoundCloud or Switchkick in the Apple Store. I'm uh, choosing not to sign him to help promote the youth and then not playing the youth. Uh, it's 35 million quid. Uh, and Piatek to Milan to replace Higuain for 30 million quid as well. What's stood out to you as sort of the biggest or most interesting signing in January? Well, I'm going to be weird because I, I, I'm a stickler for finding really weird transfers in the January transfer market. Peter Crouch has signed for Burnley. <laughs> What's going on? And, I, and I'll go weirder. This one isn't a definite move, but it's on the cards. Tom Huddleston apparently is going to sign for Udinese. From Derby. But just what is happening? I love it when football manager comes to life and you get these weird ass transfers, but... Oh, it's, Crouch coming back to the Premier League. Oh, oh, that's fun. It's great. Deadline day is just mental. Like the stuff that got people lose their minds, as sort of shown by the purple dildo on Sky Sports from a few years ago. <laughs> um, but no, like who on earth would have thought Peter Crouch would be this like centre of attention on deadline day of a transfer window in 2019? It's just mental. Um, no, I don't. They sold Sam Vokes for seven million pounds to Stoke. And then got Peter Crouch in return. I don't. I presume it was Stokes' idea to sort of sign Sambo to try and you know get them a better result in the championship. And then they just sort of Bernie were like, "Oh, we'll take Crouch then." You know, it probably does benefit both sides to be honest, because with the way Burnley are at the moment, sort of sitting around the bottom of the table, they will want someone with Premier League experience who knows what it's like to be in that that problem. And Peter Crouch will probably score a few goals for them. I don't think he's going to start, but he'll definitely come on. And, and I'd imagine he'd bag a few goals for them. But yeah, f- fair play. I, I do love a bit of Crouchy. He's quite funny on Twitter. Oh, so he's so not have in the Premier League. I just love the one where he goes to the zoo. He's like hanging out with the fam and he's just like feeding some giraffes. <laughs> um, other deadline deals that have currently just gone down. Uh, Dennis Suarez is signed for Arsenal. Uh, yeah, signed for Arsenal and from Barcelona. Uh, Johnny has made his loan move permanent to Wolves from Atletico Madrid. Uh, of course, Almiron earlier. Um, Leonardo Bacuna has gone from Reading to Cardiff uh, for an undisclosed fee to try and help them stay up. They desperately need uh, some improvement, do they, Cardiff? That's a, it's a weird one, Leandro Bacuna to Cardiff, purely on the Reading side of things, because, okay, maybe it didn't really work out for him at Reading, but he was by no means their worst midfielder. And Reading aren't playing particularly well at the moment. So to get rid of a player without looking like they're going to bring in a replacement is a really odd move. Yeah, but um, I don't know. It's gone through. Dylan Day makes fools of us all. Um, we've got a couple of loan moves to talk about as well, um, sort of internationally. Uh, Kamara, after being suspended for getting in a fight uh, at Fulham, has gone on loan to Yeni Mataliaspor. Um Nice. I, I think they just wanted to get rid of him so that none of their other players get injured. Um, <laughs> and Will Smith-Rowe has gone on loan to Leipzig from Arsenal and uh, Reese Oxford from West Ham has gone to FC Augsburg as well. High, like, hopes were high for Reese Oxford sort of last season, yeah. this season, thinking he's one of the great young players, had a great performance last season against one of the big six teams, I think. Thought he's the next prodigy and then we'd never really saw anything from him and he's now gone to Germany. It's, it's odd because he made his debut 
as what like a 16 year old against Arsenal and absolutely dominated like he had Ozil in his back pocket and then everyone thought right this is it West Ham known for being able to produce talent like they have over the years and then they loaned him out to Borussia Mönchengladbach and he had an absolute stormer over there and you thought oh they're bringing him back he's, he's going to be a solid West Ham player and she didn't play him and now they've just shipped him off to Augsburg so I would not be surprised if he does just end up moving to the Bundesliga permanently because his last West Ham appearance was a year ago to the day. Oh, it's just mental. So it's, Alan, what's going on? Alan summoned to the podcast. <laughs> just appears. Explain but, this to us. But you know what? On that sort of move, both the Emil Smith-Rowe and the Reese Oxford one, clearly the Bundesliga is a place that British youngsters feel like they can get minutes and get, can get time. They're probably looking at the likes of Jaden Sancho um, and Reese Nelson, who are already over there, playing brilliantly and getting the opportunity. And they thought, well, why not? So great development for those players. And and it will be interesting to see how both of those clubs deal with them when they come back. They want their FIFA Future Stars cards. Um, the only <laughs> other thing I've got to talk about in relation to transfers is Gary Cahill, who has hardly played at all this season, uh, even in cup competitions, said that uh, he wanted a move to actually get some more first-team minutes and play some more games, but has turned down uh, Fulham, Juventus and Monaco, uh, two of which I'm pretty sure he would get minutes at, uh, for no apparent reason, because he then, and then it came out that he wanted to try and stay and fight for his place at Chelsea, which is just not going to happen. So he's going to end hmm. up stuck at just st- like standing around in the cold at Cobham while sort of Louise and Rudiger get bollocked. To be fair, if Chelsea keep defending like they defended against Bournemouth, he might get minutes. Yeah, he's still he's still the club <laughs> um, captain. He is indeed, and he, he's a he's a decent defender. He's got on a bit. But he's still a, a decent defender. I mean, probably fair enough turning down Fulham. He probably doesn't want to be sitting around in a relegation scrap. Yes, he'd get minutes, but does he want to be down there when he could be at Chelsea? Probably not. Monaco as well, doing some shocking things in Liga. They, they've just replaced Henri, as we said, last pod as well. So he probably doesn't want to go to a club who's in a bit of a disarray at the moment. Juventus is a weird one. I Clearly, and this is a complete testament to Gary Cahill because I don't know the man, but clearly... He wants to stay and fight for his place and not just be sitting on the bench getting token minutes at Juventus when Bonucci gets injured or Chiellini gets injured. Both of them are currently injured, by the way, so that's probably why Juventus went for him. But he probably knows in the long term that once those two have recovered from the physio bench, he'll be on the bench at Juventus. So why not stay in a place he's comfortable with and try and fight for his his opportunity? Yeah, it's a fair point. Apparently Arsenal wanted it as well, but nothing came of that. Um, no, I think, you know, if it if it goes to plan for Cahill and he fights his way back in. He might bring a bit of spirit to the Chelsea team, which is desperately needed because I saw a picture of John Terry giving the squad a team talk from about three years ago and it just made me cry. Um, <laughs> so, you know, maybe maybe if he sort of ups his game, he might have an impact in the dressing room, which is what Chelsea desperately need. But um, I don't know. It's interesting. We'll see what happens with that. There is, as of recording this, currently four hours left of the window. So, um, anything can happen. We might see Lionel Messi move to Stoke. Um, I would bloody love that. I think that just about wraps up uh, all the things from the transfer window so far. Do you have any talking points for this week? 
just a couple from me. Uh, two of them are Italian-based. Uh, not sure if you caught the Italian Cup this week. Shocks galore. Fiorentina beat Roma 7-1. What? Federico Chiesa scored a hat-trick as well. And a really nice touch dedicated every single goal to uh, David Astori, mm. who um, passed away. But an absolutely mental shock result from that one. And even more of a shocking result, Atalanta beat Juventus 3-0. Duvan Zapata, if you can find me a more informed striker in world football at the moment, then I will give you all the money in my very limited bank account. He's got 17 goals in his last 10 games, including a brace against Juventus. Absolutely mental. So it means for the first time in four years, there will be a new Italian Cup winner with the teams that are left in the tournament. Yeah, Allegri got sent off as well, didn't he? <laughs> it, was not a, it was not a fun game. Ronaldo was looking very annoyed and huffing and puffing at a few fouls that, that weren't given. But credit to Atalanta, who have been really, really good this season and quietly a very impressive team in Serie A as well. And my last talking point, a very weird one. Um, uh, sometimes the Romanian FA gets mentioned on here because of a journalist I follow on Twitter, Emmanuel Rossu. If you don't follow him, do, because the man is brilliant. He'll, he'll bring you loads of Romanian football stuff, and some of it is pure gold. And for some reason, and I don't know why, the Romanian FA put up a picture of Geppetto. It was like a cartoon of Geppetto, and, and he's making Pinocchio. But for some reason, they posted a picture of him making this massive penis. <laughs> For, for Pinocchio and it's really odd and I don't really want to put it on our social media because it looks odd but listeners if you get the chance just go find Emmanuel Rossi on Twitter and go have a look at what he... it's really weird <laughs> that it went on the official league website uh, uh, it's just mental um, yeah the only one I've got this week uh, is the new docuseries documentary series commissioned by Amazon Prime uh, based on Sergio Ram- Sergio Ramos's life, um, and it's like oh, his day to day routine, what he does at training, uh, how he practices hip tosses, uh, all that sort of stuff. <laughs> I have no idea how it's going to go down. Maybe it's just their really shitty response to Netflix's all or nothing series with City and Sunderland and all that. Um, I, yeah, it'll be, I don't know. It'll be interesting, but it's, it's an eight parts. It's an eight part series. Um, Christ! Yeah. What what do you need to split into eight parts? Here's where I injured Mohamed Salah. Here's where I injured Messi. Here's where I scored the winning goal in the Champions League final. Here's when I injured Messi again. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I don't know. But there you go. You've got that to look forward to this year as well. Now, I'm afraid that's oh. all we've got time for uh, on this episode. We'll be back next week with some more uh, review episodes of the Premier League at the weekend. But thanks, Danny. Cheers, Tim. Uh, We'll see you soon.